This is a Federal News Network podcast. President Joe Biden signed an executive order last week criminalizing sexual harassment in the military. The move mirrors a provision in the 2022 Defense Authorization Act. Harassment has never been legal in the military, but the new order expands the scope of the crime for prosecutors. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni spoke about it with law firm Tully Rinky managing partner Sean Timmons. It just basically is semantics, in, in all honesty, because sexual harassment has been criminalized in the military for more than 30 years. They just didn't specifically identify it as an enumerated offense. What that means in English is they, they issued a lawful order that said don't sexually harass people, and sexual harassment is the following, you know, quid pro quo harassment and then hostile work environment harassment. So they were kind of vague in the description of harassment, but it was a violation of a lawful order to engage in prohibited conduct such as such a harassment under Article 92 UCMJ. What they've done now is streamlined it to have its own enumerated offense similar to um, retaliation in Article 132. Previously, unlawful retaliation to a whistleblower was under Article 134, prejudice or discipline-type misbehavior, misconduct. Now it's specifically outlawed under Article 132. What they do with sexual harassment is they've specifically spelled it out. Look, it's no longer just a violation of a lawful order. It's a violation of a specifically identified provision in the Unified Military Justice. So the idea is to streamline the the notice to the individual is that this conduct is prohibited. A lot of the sexual harassment training was, was not really taken seriously. So when individuals were told, look, you're about to have training to not engage in sexual harassment, a lot of the individuals in the audience and in, in, in the theater would fall asleep during it, not really pay attention to it, and didn't take it seriously. The idea behind giving it its own specific delineated offense is to make it clear to the members of the armed forces that this is a very serious crime and it's not going to be tolerated. You know, previously, Article 133, kind of on becoming an officer, put officers on notice such a harassment was not tolerated. How do you see this going forward? You know, How might the Defense Department use this in a way that is helping to cut down on sexual harassment and sexual assaults in the future and really making a more safe work environment for people within the military? Yeah, unfortunately, human nature... I'm pessimistic about it reducing anything. In fact, it, in reality, it'll probably increase the number of complaints substantially. In 2010, there was half as many rape cases in the military as there are today. However, the number of uh, allegations was probably the number of instances was probably the same. I think you'll have a lot more report reports of sexual harassment and a lot more um, investigations and a lot more prosecutions. But will the harassment actually decrease? I don't know. It's kind of like saying, well, are we going to stop drunks from driving on the road intoxicated when we ban drunk driving? Drunk driving has been unlawful for, for decades, but the number of instances has maintained relatively the same, if not gotten worse. Murder has been outlawed since the beginning of time, and we have a murder rate that's relatively consistent, if not, if not spiking with the pandemic. So to say we're going to somehow stamp out sexual harassment is to say we're somehow going to you know, figure out human misbehavior and and stop it. I I simply don't see that as uh, objectively reasonable, nor do I see it. I'm not optimistic that it's actually going to resolve much other than individuals who commit these offenses will probably face more punishment, and it might reduce recidivism, meaning reduce the number of reoccurring events. So the perpetual predators might be kicked out quicker from the military, but are we going to actually reduce the overall level of 
misbehavior, I'm pessimistic to say we will because I think human nature is inherently flawed and harassment will, will, will occur just because of the nature of human male-female relations. One area that the Defense Department has been working on and has had some issues with is online harassment. You know, that, that's sexual harassment and harassment just in general, hazing, bullying. Do you see this as a way that the Defense Department can help cut down on that? Or are there more working pieces in that that still make it tough to do? This would be one mechanism to, to maybe provide a, a resource to go after individuals who engage in um, you know, revenge-type porn activities or other harassment related to breakdowns in, in relationships. That could be um, one mechanism in place. Online harassment's a new, uh, a, a new novel area that's getting worse, arguably, as society gets more polarized. And the armed forces is no different because it's a microcosm of our, you know, community and our um, society, generally speaking. So, my 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 instinct on that says. Yes, they'll try to crack down on it more. But again, military discipline, military justice, is kind of like whack-a-mole. As soon as you whack one side, something else pops up in a different spot. It's because of the inherent flawed nature of humanity. You're never going to stamp out criminality. So the, the idea from, the, from Congress that we're going to pass another piece of legislation to prohibit conduct that's already prohibited and somehow it's going to reduce the misconduct, I haven't seen murder stop, and murder's been outlawed for a very long time. Right. It still goes on. So I'm pessimistic to say it's going to be very helpful, uh, honestly. In terms of people being retaliated against, do you think that having something to point at and say, all right, this is a true um, you know, provision right here that it's just in black and white, will that help people in, in possibly feeling like they're more protected and coming forward and, and not facing retaliation at some point? That was the idea behind the legislation, and that was the hope that everybody hoped would trans- transpire. In reality, I think it's emboldened individuals to only be more clever about their scheme to retaliate. No, they have to they have to have a, a legitimate alternate explanation, so they spend more time with their rationalization for their alternate explanation. So, in a in a in a perverse way, I think retaliation's increased. They've just been more careful about how they go about it. I understand that, that there is a provision basically doing the exact same thing as this executive order in the 2022 NDAA. So what was the point of doing the executive order if there was already the provision in, in the law? I think as public policy pronouncement to just make it clear through the press and, and through general dissemination to the, to the ranks that this is taken very seriously and we're going to uh, really pound our chest to, to – ensure everybody's aware of the criminality behind sexual harassment. I, I don't think there was any actual legal differentiation. I think it was more just another way to disseminate the information. By having the executive order signed and, and the, they get another opportunity to publicize a, a notice to everybody on, on the bulletin board, hey, sexual harassment is now prohibited. The, the military likes to use uh, death by PowerPoint and other, um, you know, mechanisms to display information to large groups at one time. Sean Timmons, managing partner at Tully Rinky, speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, 
the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while, although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks um, as part of her job. She worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Mm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 
12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, And that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on What does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the the, probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind. Um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with a level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And 
you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.